0: Well, church, if I can, let me encourage you to go ahead and grab a Bible and join me in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is in the Old Testament. Uh, it's right near the middle of the Bible. And so if you if you open your Bible and you find Psalms or Proverbs, just keep going a little bit to the right. You'll get past Isaiah. Just keep going. You'll come to Jeremiah right near the middle of the the scripture and we're gonna be in chapter twenty-nine here this morning. But as you're as you're turning there, and I do want you to know there's Bibles all over the room. So if you if you don't have a Bible with you today, we'd love for you to be able to see for yourself what the Word of God is saying. Grab one of those Bibles and, and turn with us. I do have a couple of things I wanna turn your attention to though before we jump into this message. First is what will be happening in this room tonight. Tonight we have Man Church and Man Church is a, a great, great gathering to celebrate. So fellows, we'd love for you to join us tonight. Just the men hanging out, worshiping, hearing a very challenging, very appropriate message tonight for guys. And I really want to encourage you, bring somebody with you. Uh, A good friend of mine who's also a pastor will be preaching the message tonight. John Mark Harrison, he pastors a church up in Tennessee. And so he's preaching at his church this morning. He's going to quickly get down here to Birmingham for this evening and and will be joining us. And it's going to be a really great night, guys. But I also want to tell you about one of the, the things that will be happening over the next week that is one of the more significant opportunities that we have a church, e- as a church each and every year. This week is Crave. Crave weekend is next weekend. Students are, where are you? Come on. Now, students, that's, that's embarrassing because um, there's a bunch of y'all that are involved and what I hear is that you're excited. So Crave weekend is next weekend, students. Come on. There we go. That's more like it. That's more like it. Beginning Thursday night, then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Crave weekend is gonna be an awesome, awesome weekend in the life of our church. And and church, here's what I'm asking of you. We're gonna have the opportunity to, to spend time with several hundred students during Crave. And God's doing a great work in our student ministry right now. And I'm asking you, the church, to cover Crave in prayer. So I'm asking you this week to set aside some time at some point in this week, just put a little reminder on your phone, do a little appointment on your calendar and just stop whatever you're doing at some point this week and pray for Crave Weekend and pray for all of these students involved because we believe that this coming weekend, there are going to be some students who literally have a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. And we want to be praying to that end. So we as the church want to come alongside our students and believe in the next generation and pray that God is going to do a significant work in the life of students this week here at Shades. So join me in that prayer. It's going to be a lot of fun to see what God does. Jeremiah 29, I wanna read verse one and then verses four through seven to get us started this morning. And I like to do what we do each week at the reading of God's word, we stand. And so I'd like to invite you to stand with me if you're willing and able. And if you are new to Shades or if you're joining us online, welcome. We're glad you are here. And I do want you to know the reason why we stand for the reading of God's word. because every single time we gather and turn to the scripture, we need to be reminded that the word of God is our foundation. This is what the people of God stand upon and have stood upon for generations. And so even as our culture changes, even as our world around us changes, the word of God stays the same. And the word of God is a solid rock foundation on which the people of God stand. So we stand in honor of what God says is right and good and true in his word. Jeremiah 29, verse one sets the context and this is what we see. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 4, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's the instructions of God. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their welfare. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me as we consider God's word together this morning and then after I pray... We'll be seated as we get into this message. Let's pray. Father, as we now stand before you all around this room and turn our attention to your word, it is my prayer, Lord God, that you would do what only you can do in the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would come and rest on us and speak into our lives, knowing what we need to hear. It's an amazing thing to consider. We all have different stories, different circumstances, different challenges that we are experiencing right now. And in the power of your Holy Spirit, you can speak to each and every one of us. And so I pray, Lord, that we would have a real encounter with you through your word. I pray, Lord God, that you would be glorified through it all, that you would use this day to lay before us what we need to see that we might walk in your ways. We thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing with me. And just as a little refresher on where we've been to to jumpstart this new year as we come to the end of January, we've been walking through for the last few weeks uh, our Our vision as a church, a statement that we hold up that that really serves as our mission statement, a very simple phrase that you see plastered everywhere you see Shades Mountain. The phrase is simply live sent. We talk about this a lot. We are a people who believe that God has called his church, called his people to a mission. And that mission is to be sent into the world with the good news of the gospel. And so as we've been talking about this this mission and that statement lives sent, We've laid out a definition that that helps us hopefully grab a hold of this a a little bit more like some some handlebars or, or some guardrails that show us where this mission points us. And here's the definition we've landed on. Leveraging who we are and what we've been given for the sake of the gospel wherever we are and wherever God takes us. That's what it means to live sent to leverage our lives and to say, God, wherever I am, that is for the sake of the mission. Wherever I am, there is an opportunity to be used for the sake of the gospel. And wherever you take me, Lord, I want to follow. I want to go where you lead for the sake of the gospel. This morning, as we turn to Jeremiah 29, we are... We're focusing specifically on the portion of this statement, wherever we are. We're focusing on on the place that we call home. We're focusing on the place where, where, where we live. And as we focus there, we see some very strange instructions to the people of God in Jeremiah 29 based on the circumstances that they are living in the midst of. Verse 1, again, just, just really encapsulates the context, if you will, for, for what's happening in the story of the people of God as the prophet Jeremiah speaks to them on behalf of God. What do we see? He say, we see that, that these are words in a, in a letter written from the prophet Jeremiah, who's in Jerusalem, sending this word of God to, who is it? The surviving elders of the exiles. That's an important phrase because that means based on what the people of God have been walking through, it has been so difficult and so brutal that many have not survived. They're in a tough, tough spot. They're in a painful, challenging season. And so Jeremiah is sending this this letter to the survivors, the surviving elders, the the surviving priests, the surviving prophets, and all who have been taken away by this ruthless king, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, an absolutely brutal king who has ravaged their homeland and has taken the survivors as captives back to Babylon. And so here the people of God find themselves in a place that they never wanted to go, living a story that they never intended to live. This is, this is one of those scenes in the scripture where we see that the people of God are, are in the midst of a very significant struggle, and this was not part of their plan. This is not what they saw for their lives. This is not what they wanted. And and now they're exiles and all they want to do is go home. All they want to do is get away from their current reality. If I could just go back to the way things were. And God meets them in this moment with a word from the prophet Jeremiah and calls them to reorient their perspective altogether to reorient what they are focusing on in every form and fashion. And I, I realize, that, look, this, this is not going to be true for everyone today. This is not going to be the same for everyone today. But some of you, I know, you're in some really tough situations. In a room this size, as we gather, there, there's a lot of pain. I know there's many of you right now in your story, you, you're finding yourself in a place that you never thought you would be. Some of you are experiencing something right now that you never thought would be your reality in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that struggle. Don't we often say, gosh, I just wish, just wish I could get out of here altogether. I wish I could go back to a different time, a different place, just to get away from all of this that's so challenging. And that's that's where the people of God find themselves. They hate being in exile. They hate what they've experienced. They they do not like where they are living. They do not like their current reality in captivity in Babylon. And for good reason. This is not where they want to be. And yet God speaks through the prophet and shows them, I actually have something very specific for you right where you are. So, verses five and six, he lays out these instructions. The word of God says through Jeremiah build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. What was this saying? This is saying, settle in. Like, I, I want you to see this as, as your home right now for this season. Like I, I don't want you to just be sitting there waiting for when things are going to change. No, I want you to live your life right now, right where you are. And God even takes it a step further and says, "Hey, for the sake of future generations, I'm telling you, go ahead and, and get married if you are if you are waiting to see is this thing going to change or or, or not." And, and God's saying, "Take a wife now. Uh, have have your have sons and daughters, and take wives for for your sons and give your daughters in marriage." I'm telling you, don't, don't pull back. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. I'm telling you, I want you to live your life right where you find yourself right now. Don't don't go into that bunker mentality where you're, where you're trying to hide from the world. Don't pull away. I'm telling you, there's something for you right here, right where you are. And I'm calling you to reorient your perspective. I'm calling you to see your surroundings and your city in a very different way than you might have initially thought. God's instructions are clear to The people, he wants them to to settle in, so to speak, to where they currently are living. Why? Because he has a very specific purpose for them in this city. We see that in verse 7, Jeremiah 29, verse 7. What does it say? It says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. And listen to this. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now that that term is, is very important because that term in the original language, in the in the Hebrew context, that term welfare is a term that, that often is translated shalom. Maybe you've heard the word shalom. Shalom shows up in the scripture on many different occasions. And oftentimes when shalom is translated from Hebrew into English, it's translated to the word peace. But peace is actually somewhat of a shallow translation of what shalom is really talking about. This, this term really means flourishing human flourishing that's why here in Jeremiah it's translated welfare as opposed to being translated peace this is not just about two groups of people refusing to argue or or two groups of people trying to find a way to live at peace with one another no that's actually inadequate this is saying seek the flourishing of the city where you find yourself Seek the welfare, the flourishing of the people that you're surrounded by, even those that you disagree with. Even those that have very different views from you. The people in Babylon had completely different views than God's people from Jerusalem. And God is saying, I'm calling you in this season where you find yourself to seek the flourishing of this city, seek the greater good of this city. For as the city flourishes, you will flourish. As the city experiences this shalom, this welfare, this flourishing, you will flourish. And as the city experiences flourishing through the people of God who have been planted right there, In this city the city will take notice because typically what do we do when we interact with people that we don't agree with we start to fight right when we interact with people who don't share our beliefs we we start to fight right that's why we have Facebook that's actually not true I'm being facetious that's not why you have Facebook stop fighting on Facebook It's pointless and ridiculous to fight on Facebook no no no. God is saying look look I'm calling you to live in a foreign land with a group of people that you don't even agree with in such a way that you love the city so much that they see the way you're living and they take notice it stands out because it's unusual I want to share with you a quote from Pastor Timothy Keller in a book he wrote called Every Good Endeavor that talks about how we we live this mission and live this out right where we're planted. And this is very challenging. He says this, we live in a time when public esteem of the church is plummeting. And for many outsiders or inquirers, The deeds of the church will be far more important than our words in gaining plausibility. Now this this is important. Keller's not saying, hey, your words don't matter. That's not what he's saying. Your words do matter. But Keller's saying your actions reflecting your words is what will be most important to those who don't agree with you. Your actions lining up with the things you say and the things you say matter are going to be most important to those looking at you, even if they're in disagreement. He goes on to say leaders in most places see word only churches as net costs to their community organizations of relatively little value. But effective churches will be so involved in the deeds of mercy and justice that outsiders will say we cannot do without churches like this. This church is channeling so much value into our community that if it were to leave the neighborhood, we would have to raise taxes. It's an amazing thing to consider that the church of Jesus Christ could live in such a way in a city, in a neighborhood, in a a location that the local leadership of that community would say, hey, we may not agree with them. We may not even like what they stand for, but our city is better because they're here. Listen, I realize in the church, and this is a great legacy here at Shades Mountain, we we love the word of God. We stand for the reading of God's word. And this church has stood on the word of God for generations. We will continue to do so. That is priority. We must care deeply about our doctrine and our theology and what the word of God says. Please don't miss this. The way we show that we really care deeply about our doctrine and our theology and what the word of God says is how we then live right where we're planted in light of what we say we believe. It's the old adage that people will not care what we believe until they believe we care. Our actions matter. And God is saying to his people in Babylon, in exile, in a place that they never planned to be around a group of people that they really don't understand and have very little in common with. And is saying, okay, I want you to love this city so much and pray for this city so much that the city begins to flourish in a new way. Because as the city flourishes, you will have the opportunity to share why you're doing what you're doing. You'll have the opportunity to leverage your life right where you are. Because the city will take notice. I love church history. There are some great examples throughout church history of how this is lived out. And I wanna just turn your attention quickly to a beautiful example in church history of how this was lived out. In the 1800s in London, England, Charles Spurgeon was the pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Now, we've got a picture of Spurgeon. We're gonna put it up on the screen because this is a preacher. I mean, look at Spurgeon. He's a boss, okay, I mean, that beard is legit, he's got a cane. I'm going, man, I need a preaching cane, that is serious, he is the OG, I mean, he is the man. And God has used Spurgeon in many ways from the 1800s until now. I mean, his writings continue to impact church leaders and pastors in a very significant way. But his ministry was happening at a time in London where there was actually a lot of chaos it was in the midst of the rise of the Industrial Revolution. And so people were moving from the English countryside into the city of London in droves, in, in record numbers. And, and there was energy and excitement and all this, this new work of the Industrial Revolution. But at the same time, there were not enough jobs for everyone. And so as the Industrial Revolution was drawing people to the city, poverty homelessness, crime. It was growing at a rate that it had not ever grown before. And so people in the city of London became very concerned at what they were seeing in their city and their, their response to their concern was, let's get out of here. Let's move out of the city. And you can study this historically. In the the mid-1800s, there were churches that moved out of the city of London. There were people that moved out of the city of London altogether. They wanted to get away from the problems. They wanted to get away from the crime. They wanted to get away from the poverty and the homelessness. Spurgeon said, we're not moving. This is where God has called us. This is where God has placed us for such a time as this, and so the Metropolitan Tabernacle began to respond to the needs, the growing needs of their city. They they began to meet the needs of those who were impoverished and 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 homeless. They they began to reach out to those who were who were living around them in the neighborhood, and they began to be laser focused not just on those who were inside the walls of the church, but those who were just over the walls of the church. So to speak, seeking to point them to the good news of the gospel through the way they loved the city and prayed for the city. An amazing thing happened. The Metropolitan Tabernacle began to grow at such a rate that Spurgeon began to tell the members of the church, would you please take at least one Sunday a month where you don't come to worship? Don't show up because we don't have any room. And, and our, our neighbors are, are coming to church, and, and those who are lost are coming to hear the good news of the gospel, and we're out of seats. So I'm just telling you, thanks so much for your faithfulness in membership. But next Sunday, could you just go to the lake? Just go to the beach. And this is before online church, so it's not like, hey, go and watch somewhere else. It's like, hey, just go. We need your seats. God did an unbelievable work. Matt Carter in his book, For the City, he writes about this. Historically, and he says this, it's an amazing thing to consider. He says metropolitan tabernacle's influence spread so quickly throughout the poor and all the way up the class ladder to the aristocracy, it got to the point that if the metropolitan tabernacle had shut down at any point during the decade of grappling with the problems of the Industrial Revolution, the city of London would have been crippled. They would have grieved the loss of the tabernacle that a church is so involved in the needs of the city and so committed to praying for the city and so actively pursuing the flourishing of the city that the city can't help but notice and the city is better because that church is in the neighborhood it's a beautiful vision. It's a a, a beautiful historical understanding of the power of God at work through a local body of Christ that says we are going to seek the flourishing of the city. We are going to leverage our lives right where we are for the sake of the gospel because what we stand on, the word of God, it matters and the word of God needs to be shared. And so we're going to live in such a way that people actually want to hear what we have to say we're not gonna we're not gonna build walls to try and keep the city out we're not gonna say the city is our enemy because of some of the problems we're gonna say that's our home we got to be involved it's amazing that God is calling his people through Jeremiah in a place they never wanted to be in a place that they struggle to live, and saying, hey, seek the flourishing of the city. There is a reason why you are there. And God also makes it clear that he, he is the one that called them. I love what happens in the progression, progression, excuse me, of the verses we've read today in Jeremiah 29 beginning in verse 1 there's a statement that is used at the end of verse 1 it says all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon that's that's what the people were aware of Nebuchadnezzar, this ruthless evil king, has invaded their land. He has brutalized their people. He has has ransacked their homes and he has drugged them into captivity. And so the people are looking around, they're saying, hey, we're in Babylon, not because we want to be here. We're in Babylon because the evil king Nebuchadnezzar, he drugged us here against our will. But remember, God is reorienting the perspective of his people. And he wants them to see that he has them where he has them for a reason. And so in verse 4, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, listen, whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Hey, you thought you were here because of Nebuchadnezzar? But I want you to know you're where you are because I've sent you there. Verse 7 says the same thing. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And this is, this is the reorientation. Some of you right now, you, you really love where you live. You, you love this city. You love Birmingham. Many of you have been here for years and, and, and it feels comfortable. It feels like home. And you're saying, yeah, I'm here because I want to be here. I'm here because my family planted roots here years ago. I'm here because a job brought me here. I'm here because I I go to school here. I'm here for all these different reasons. And the word of God is saying, hold on, hold on. Don't miss the big picture. Yeah, a job may have brought you here. School may have drawn you here. Family roots may have kept you here. But you're here because you've been sent. And in the bigger picture, in the bigger scheme of things, God is saying you are where you are for a reason. I have sent you there. So seek the flourishing of your city, of your neighborhood. Live in such a way that the city sees the good news of of a people that have been sent to seek the flourishing of this city and point to a God who is pursuing them with his love. You are where you are because you've been sent. So leverage your life wherever you are for the sake of the gospel. You see, really the word of God is challenging the people of God to think the way a missionary thinks. to to, to look at where you live and say, I've been given a missions outpost. I am a missionary in a foreign land. What does a missionary do? A missionary studies the landscape. They they study the place where they've been called. They learn the language. They learn the people. They begin to love the people. They, They begin to be brokenhearted over the needs of the people. They step in to try and meet the needs of the people so that through meeting needs, they can share the good news of why They are there in the first place. And yet many people for a long time in the American church have bought into a lie that says a missionary is somebody that goes across the ocean a long way away and we might hear from once or twice a year and we'll let them do that. But we just get to live here. And do our thing and show up at church from time to time. but We're not missionaries. No, 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 no. We're not missionaries. And nothing could be further from the truth according to the word of God. No matter where you find yourself, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a missionary and a missions outpost, strategically placed by a sovereign God, who desires to use your life to point people to the good news of his love? That you might leverage your life for the sake of the gospel. I want to end today, real quickly, looking at a quote from Spurgeon, who we were just talking about. Listen to what the Prince of Preachers says. As he talks about the gospel, he says, if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will be whispering it into your child's ear. You will be telling it to your husband. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. And then here's the line. Listen, listen to the Prince of Preachers. I love this. This is the cane right here. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. You're either viewing where you live as a missions outpost in a foreign land Where you've been called to seek the flourishing of the city, to love the city, to serve the city, to share the good news of the gospel, to leverage who you are for the sake of the gospel. You're either viewing your your office that way, your school that way, your neighborhood that way, your golf club that way, your book club that way. You're either viewing your, your life through the lens of a missionary or you're just going through the motions. Because the word of God says to the people of God, you've been given a mission. So either you live the mission or you're just just posing. You're just an imposter. I just ask you to consider how are you viewing where you live? How are you viewing wherever you are? For God has sent you And God will use you if you will orient your life around this good news of what Jesus Christ has done. I realize you may be here today, or you may be joining us online, and you're saying, Hey, I. I appreciate what you're saying, but I'm not a follower of Jesus. And, and here's what I would say to you. If you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus or, or maybe you're wrestling in your faith and you haven't really landed on what you believe about Jesus, as, as we talk about the mission, here's what I hope you will hear. God is pursuing you with his love in such a way that he has called his church to live out the faith in such a way that you get to see the good news of the gospel and hear the good news of the gospel. That's how much God loves you. That he's called his people, the church, to to leverage our lives and to seek the flourishing of the city and to live in this neighborhood, in this community, in this city in such a way that that you could see there is a God who loves you. And you could hear what Jesus Christ has done for you. Jeremiah 29 11 is a verse that many are familiar with. This this is one of the, the coffee mug verses of the Christian faith. It says this, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans for welfare. There's that word again, flourishing not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And here's the good news for us today. This is a specific promise to the people of God who are in captivity in Babylon. But this verse is saying to the people of God today, there is a God that loves you There is a God that desires your flourishing through the good news of what he has done. What has he done? He has sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for your sin, to pay the price that your sin demands. He has resurrected his son from the grave, defeating sin and death, providing forgiveness, providing grace, and he has called you to something greater than yourself. He has called you to something where there is a future and a hope. And if you will trust Jesus at his word, you will receive this gift of the gospel. That's right. There is good news for all who trust in Jesus. And we've been called to share that good news to those who have yet Believe. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, we love you. We thank you for this incredible gift that we have to turn our attention to your word. And we pray, Lord God, that you would use your word right now, even now, in our lives to, to reorient our perspective. Wherever we need to see more clearly, wherever we need to see differently, Lord, show us what you desire for us to see. And use your people here on Shades Mountain, use your church to be a people who seek the welfare, the flourishing of this city where we get to live. Give us eyes to see with intentionality right where you have placed us and how we can leverage our life for the sake of the gospel. Thank you for being a God who loves the city and loves the people of the city so much that you've called your church to be actively involved in the needs of the city. Lord, I pray that the city is not the same because of what you do through us. Father, for those who don't know you, it is my prayer that today they, they would see and understand that there is a God who loves them, that you have sent your son Jesus to, to die on the cross for their sin, Lord, that they might be forgiven and, and receive this gift of new life. Lord, I pray that there be some today who trust in you as Savior And as Lord, we thank you for the gift of salvation and we thank you for inviting us to be a part of what you are doing to share this good news in the place that we call home. And we lift all this up in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.